0: You are listening to the In Focus Church podcast with Pastor Brent Gerard. In Focus Church is a multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Evans, Georgia, with a mission to love God, love people, and reach the world. Be sure to like, subscribe, and leave a rating wherever you are listening, and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at In Focus Church. We hope this message encourages you and leaves you feeling challenged to see God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven.
1: Weakness. Is it a good thing or is it a bad thing? For us, it can depend on what generation you grew up in. Kind of in my generation, uh, it was, you didn't show any Weakness. A humanity is not known for balance, it's not known for moderation, we don't really find the middle ground, we're usually on the extremes of every subject and every issue. So in the case of weakness, there's certainly a generation of people that, like myself, that don't show any weakness, you know, and our response was always to kind of put a mask on about everything. I'm fine, I'm good, don't worry about me, that's just life, a mere flesh wound, That's, yeah, some of y'all might know that, but now I think there's the other extreme today in our culture. The other extreme is on the other end of the spectrum, and we are very vulnerable, uh, embracing our weakness without any prudence. We name them and make them a part of our personality profiles, and you know, well, I'm a sanguine introvert with isolationist tendencies, so you won't see much of me, except on my YouTube channel where I talk about life as a hermit. Now, you can check that out and like it. Just like, that's the world we live in. We talked about this the other day. It's like our, our kids and their kids are, are, are probably going to be less, uh, have less ability at times to socially interact with people, but man, if you put, a, put them in front of a camera, then all of a sudden they come to life. We are on our sixth letter in our series, Dear Church, because what I want to look at today is... Although we, we're not quite sure how to deal with weakness, the Bible tells us that weakness is one of our greatest strengths. We're looking at the letters from the book, book of Revelation. These were letters penned by John. Uh, they were testimonies of Jesus Christ, of what he saw in the churches at that time. And today we're looking at the specific church of Philadelphia, not Pennsylvania, but in modern day turkey. So remember these letters were not written specifically to us, but they are for us. So with the help of the Holy Spirit, his illumination of the word of God, which is one of the things that he does for us, we want to see what God would say to us through his word today as Jesus speaks to the church at Philadelphia. So if you have your Bible, Revelation chapter 3 is where we will be today and verse 7 through 13. So let's read it together. To the angel of the church I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you've kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown." The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The Church of Philadelphia is one of two churches that didn't receive a correction just glowing affirmation. them, along with the church in Smyrna, were the only two. no correction, just unqualified praise and approval. Must have been amazing, right? as the church that's like known as they didn't get corrected. They just got praise and approval. It Must have been an amazing church. And I have a question: What does an amazing church look like? In our minds, that would mean probably they were successful. Popular, large in number, probably a mega church with a massive online following, doing all kinds of things in the community, led by a world-renowned pastor who is probably also an author and a musician and blue check certified on every social media outlet. That's probably what we would imagine. But here's the thing. That's because we tend to value what Babylon values instead of valuing what God values values just when we think we know exactly who and what god is going to use for his glory he consistently surprises us we still seem surprised but the bible in telling its story from beginning to end is pretty normative in the fact that god uses the simple the small the weak and yet we still are looking for the strong and the popular and the powerful Jesus is the one giving out these affirmations. And so I think it's important that as he gives these affirmations to the church, the writer, John, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is is telling them uh, the way Jesus would might have come across to them best. He's describing Jesus in a way that would communicate best to this church, whichever church it might be. So I want to take a moment to see how Jesus is described in the church or to the church of Philadelphia. This description is found in verse 7, and it's unique. Because all the other descriptions are taken from the vision of Jesus in chapter one of Revelation, but this one is not. It has a lot of Old Testament features. It says, first, describing Jesus, it is him who is holy, emphasizing the deity of God, saying, Jesus is saying, he who is holy, I am holy. He's saying, I am God. I am the holy one. This is very important. He also, second description he gives of himself is him who is true. Not just him who is holy, but him who is true. The word true in the Greek means authentic. It means he's real. He's genuine. He's the truth in a world filled with lies and deception and facades. He's never going to lie to you. He's never going to deceive you. This is who's speaking, the holy one, the true one. The third description he gives of himself is him who holds the key of David. What does that mean? means he's sovereign david symbolizes the messianic throne and a key represents authority so whoever has the key is in control what jesus is saying here is he is the holder of the key of david he alone has the sovereign authority to determine who enters into the messianic kingdom and who does not he is in control he is sovereign he has all authority And then the fourth way he describes himself is, what he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. It's Basically, he who is omnipotent, he who is all-powerful, no one can thwart what he is doing. What he does cannot be overturned by somebody who's more powerful because that person does not exist. If he shuts the door, then there's no one who's more powerful that can open it. He's omnipotent. So, from this verse, we can see that Jesus Christ is being described to the church at Philadelphia. This is who's speaking to you the Holy One, the True One, the Sovereign One, the Omnipotent One. So, they ought to be really encouraged at this point. No correction, no warnings, no rebuke for the church of Philadelphia. But what an encouragement to hear from Jesus, the pure one, the righteous one, the sovereign one, the omnipotent one. And why was it comforting to hear a word from Jesus? Because they were small and they were weak. How many of you know that when you feel small and weak or when you actually are small and weak in comparison to what you're facing, how encouraging and comforting it is to get a word from Jesus? that if you get a word from Jesus, it is enough. A word from Jesus and his word makes us strong. We need this message today as much as the church in Philadelphia did because at some point, our faith will be tested. We're gonna feel weak. We're actually gonna be weak or small in comparison to the circumstance that we are in, just like the Philadelphia church. And when that day comes, and it will, we're gonna need the everlasting word of Jesus to come to us to help us stand like pillars we need the holy one the faithful one the true one the sovereign one the omnipotent one to speak to us because Jesus is the living word and so his words come to us and strengthen us when we're weak so what do his words remind the church here and what can they remind the church here today his word First of all, opens and shuts doors for humble people. That's what we see here. His word opens and shuts doors for humble people. Verse 8, I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. We often like to quote this verse, right, when we've got something going on in our life that isn't turning out like we want, or we feel like God's given us a word and it's not happening in the timing that we're hoping, so we go, well, we serve a God who opens a door that no man can open and no man can shut, we just start, you know, and that's probably has some merit to it. I'm not saying that it doesn't, but that's not really the, the meaning behind this particular understanding of the open and shut door. Jesus opens every letter with his knowledge of the church. I know you. That's what he says. I know you. I see you. And what he says about the Philadelphian church is that they have what he knows about them. And he sees that they have little strength. Or some translations say they have little power. And that's not an insult. It's not to say, well, you're just little weaklings. That's not what he's saying. It's not a rebuke. He's just stating the reality that they had very little influence in their culture. They were small. They had very little power to change things in their culture. They were small in size. And on top of that, they'd been ostracized. They'd been kicked out of the synagogue by the Jews. They, and in all of that, they did not deny their faith in Christ. In the face of opposition, they did not deny their faith in Christ. And Jesus wants them to know, and maybe he wants you to know this today, that their lack of faith, there was no lack of faith that was causing them to suffer. That's what he's wanting them to know. Their suffering wasn't a result of their lack of faith or anything else. Unlike, say, Job's friends who had this theology of retribution that meant if you are suffering, then you must have sin in your life. He's saying, no, that's not the case. That's not the case for you. You kept my word, he says. This church kept his word. They stood firm. He knows that. And he knows their love for him. So to encourage them, Jesus says, he set before them an open door that nobody was going to be able to shut. No matter what happens to us in this life, there is an open door, and that's what is being said here. Most people believe that's the, yes, there's open doors that God opens for us that nobody else can open. But right here, the open door is that Jesus has opened the door to himself, and nobody else can shut that. This door is available. It's the door to salvation. And when that happens, we belong to Jesus. We are his. We are his church. As a matter of fact, Jesus himself describes himself as the open door. John 10, 9, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So Jesus is the doorway into salvation. And the door symbolizes the need for a decision on our part. It's the entryway into Christ or it's the barrier keeping us from Christ. So the door in this context seems to be the salvific entryway into the kingdom of God. And if Jesus opens that door to your heart and to your life, there is no person that can shut it. Here's the point. This little church... Had no power, they suffered, and Jesus saved them. In other words, it doesn't matter the outward circumstances and what the outward circumstances show. They are co-heirs with Christ because Jesus opened the door for them and nobody else can shut it. No one has greater power to shut them out of the presence of God, much like the Jews had shut them out of the worship in the synagogue. Nobody could do that. He'd say, nope, nobody's going to shut you out of my presence like they did down there. No amount of opposition can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus, the open door. Jesus holds them. Their eternal destiny is with Christ forever in heaven. Go ahead, world, do what you can and do what but you must but you can't take jesus away from me that's an open door that nobody can shut i mean that is so jesus right there when all this is going on just remember there's something that i have opened for you that no one else can shut Remember what he said in John chapter 10, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. I open the door and nobody can shut that door. You see where all the focus is even in this scripture, in John, and then where the focus is in who Jesus is in Revelation, it's not on us. The focus is on the power of God. So what if the church has little strength? So what if the church has little number? So what if the church has little resources? It's small, it's persecuted, it's ostracized, and marginalized. So what? Their God is all-powerful, omnipotent, holy, pure, righteous, true. And we have to understand that it's God's power that determines our future, not ours. Our salvation and affirmation from God is not based on the great things that we do, but on the great things that Jesus has already done. All he's asking for us is to humbly stay true to his word, to remember his word, to keep his powerful word. And then he does all the things that only he can do, shutting and opening doors that only he can open and shut. Maybe we don't have the numbers. Maybe we don't have the resources. Or maybe we don't have what we seem to have in the past. And our past is a little bit overwhelming or depressing. Yet God has asked us to do something. And I would say that even to us, church, God has asked us to do something as his church in the earth. And we may feel like we cannot do it, but that's why if we think about how 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and 9 says that when we are weak, God is strong, we see his power work through us in our weakness. So the best place to be when we feel like we cannot do it is actually right there. That's the best place to be, to feel like, God, I can't do this. This is too hard. It's too much. I don't have the adequacy. I don't have the strength. I don't have the talent. I don't have the manpower. I don't have the gifts. I don't have this. And God's saying, you're right, you don't. But I do. He loves that because he understands that you can't do it anyway, but he can. So he's allowing us to see that he's the only one. So he's like, let me do it. Because, you see, when we're powerless, when we're weak, We don't get in his way. On the other hand, when we tend to get in his way is when we have all the strength and have all the answers and feel like, God, I got this. You can take a break right now. Lord, I've got this. And I think it's in those moments when we're the most strong and we feel like we've got it the most under control that we do more damage sometimes than when we do living life in our weakness. Why? Because we confuse whose power is at work. See, it's not our abundance and strength that accomplishes God's purposes for our lives. It's our weakness and faith that God works through the most. Sometimes we, well, we got all this abundance and we got all this strength and we could do this for God. And it's like, yeah, and then yeah, you're going to think you did that. This church's faith caused them to rise above their own strength and lay hold of the strength of God. And that's what we need to do. Every day, we need the strong word of God for our little power lives. That's what I need. We need the mighty hand of Jesus to hold us firm when we're losing our grip and everything else feels like it's being shaken away into ruins. We need the word of God. When suffering comes, it's our reliance on Jesus in the midst of suffering that gives us such strong confidence in him. When Jesus is all we have, we realize that Jesus is actually all we have need which brings me to the second encouragement that we hear from jesus his word is a sure foundation for suffering people his word opens and shuts doors for humble people and his word is a sure foundation for suffering people revelation 3 9 i will make those who are the synagogue of satan who claim to be jews though they're not but are liars i will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that i have loved you Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. You see, when our eyes have been opened to the mercy and the grace of Jesus, and we receive him unto salvation, we realize there is nothing, no amount of shaking or testing that can keep us from him. That's the open door that he has opened that no one can shut. As a matter of fact, here's what suffering does. Suffering shows us who we really are. When we suffer with Jesus, we see how Christian or not, we really are. Without the closed doors of this world seen in our suffering, we often never really see the open doors of Jesus in his world seen in his grace and by faith. But when things don't go as planned, when we realize we need more than our own ability and our own strength. When you are at the end of your wits and you need more wisdom, when you're in a hole so deep that you know you can't get yourself out, but you need a Savior to rescue us, day in and day out, we need Christ as the sure foundation, the rock on which we stand, our lives stand on. He is the sure foundation when the storms of suffering come to our lives, and they will. So a little context, the church in Philadelphia is being persecuted by the religious elite, would have been the same people that crucified Jesus. The church is remaining faithful to Jesus despite this intense persecution. So Jesus says, I'm going to make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Now, let me just say this, because here's typically what we would focus on. Yeah, they're going to come down and bow at my feet. Like that's that's kind of how Jesus says, don't don't take joy in the fact that the demons, you know, listen to you. But that, that I have written your name down. And this is exactly what they're saying. It's like, yes, I'm going to make them do that because he is the just God. But here's what we need to focus on is that I have loved you. Not that somebody's going to, not that you're going to be proven that that I, you know, that you're right. That's kind of what we want to have. But no, I want you to focus on the fact that I have loved you. Because it's one thing for you to know that Jesus loves you, but it's an entirely different sense of love when everybody else is told that Jesus loves you. It's kind of like I could tell someone like my wife that I love her, but if I just yell out to everybody, I love my wife, like that's a different kind of love all of a sudden. It's great that she knows, but when I tell everybody else that I love her, and Jesus saying, I'm going to tell everybody else that though they thought you were weak, though they thought you were oppressed, though they thought you were marginalized, though they thought you amounted to nothing, that I, the God of the universe, have loved them and I have loved you. That's what he's saying. When Jesus yells out to everybody, the whole world, I love my church. Jesus loves us with an everlasting love. He has drawn us to himself with his loving kindness because of that, and we know his love. But one day, here's what he's saying, the whole world's gonna know my love for you. The Bible says that Jesus is gonna present her, the church, to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. It doesn't matter how much the world chewed you up and spit you out. On that day, Jesus is going to wash us clean and show the world how much he's loved us. Nobody could take that from you. He's saying nobody can take that from you. That is a door that I've opened and nobody can shut. The world may say you're worthless, but Jesus died on the cross to prove otherwise. So what does verse 10 say to the church? Verse 10 says, since you've kept my command to endure patiently. I want you to see that. Endure patiently. Keep his word to endure patiently. And what will Jesus do? I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. Here's what we need to understand. As we keep Jesus' word, Jesus keeps us. As you keep the word of God, he keeps you. Here's why this matters. You may worry sometimes, well, I don't know if I can keep the word of God. I don't know if I can do God's word. You may wonder when you're suffering, if it's going to be too much, am I going to be able to respond correctly? And am I going to be able to, to walk in the grace of God? God, I don't know if I'll be able to handle this. I don't know if I'll be able to deal with this. Well, if you're in Christ, if you believe he is your all in all, you don't have to worry about that because it's Christ who keeps you so that you can keep his word. Here's what Jesus is saying. He's not saying, do this for me, and then I'll do this for you. No, what he's saying is, I have already done this for you so that you can do that. I've already done everything for you so that you can keep my word. It's my strength that's made perfect in your weakness, not the other way around. So as we suffer with Christ, we learn how to face future suffering that may come as well. Suffering teaches us the answer to the test of life, and the answer to the test of life is Jesus Christ. So, as we stand on His unchanging Word, we find a sure foundation for our suffering, which helps us endure to the end, which is our third and final point. His Word is a promise for those who endure. His Word is a promise. For those who endure. It's a sure foundation for those who are suffering. And it's a promise to those who endure. Every letter has ended with a promise. As I said, every letter has ended with the motivation of the hope that you have in Christ. The hope of glory. Not the hope necessarily for right now. But the hope of the fact that that door that is open to salvation. That your future home that God has for you. That nobody can take that away from you. That is the hope of glory. And everything that this has been written in these letters always ends with reminding us of why we're living this way. And he says in verse 11, I'm coming soon, so hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He means to hold on to keep a firm grasp on his word. And no one can steal their crown, he says. Why not? Because Jesus traded his crown of thorns for a crown of glory, and he gives the crown of glory to all his people who suffer through the thorns of this world. We get to trade our crown for his. When Paul was told by the Lord Jesus, the thorn in his flesh was not going to be taken away, he then supported Paul's faith by explaining why. It's the verse I said a moment ago. He said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. God ordains Paul be weak so that Christ may be seen as strong on Paul's behalf. Because if we feel and we look self-sufficient, we'll get the glory and not Jesus. So Jesus chooses the weak things of the world so that no human can boast in his presence. And sometimes he makes seemingly strong people weaker so that the divine power will be all the more evident. And I think that's why weakness is necessary. Weaknesses are necessary qualifications for God's servants to make explicit both to us and to the watching world that we're not sufficient, but Jesus is. No one takes, Jesus says, nobody takes what he freely gives. He holds the keys. He's the door. So Jesus is not saying, worry about losing your crown. That's not what he's doing. He's not trying to sow seeds of doubt. He's saying instead, don't give up. Don't let anybody take what they should not be able to take from you. Don't let anybody steal what I have put in you. Don't give up. I'm coming soon. Endure. Hold fast. Trust me. That's what he's saying. Think of it this way. Think about running a race because all throughout the Bible we, use, we have that imagery multiple times about running a race of faith. And running the race of faith as if you want to win, to train for it, to, to not quit. I'm sure probably all of you have watched a race, or maybe you had kids that ran track or cross country, or when maybe you watch the race races every once every four years when it comes on the Olympics or something like that. But what happens when somebody gets to the end of the race? And the crowd is there because they've been waiting for the end of the race, and somebody's getting to the end of the race. What happens? The crowd gathers around the finish line and they start cheering. And what do they do? They go, chill. He's up. Take it easy. Slow and steady wins the race. No. I mean, they're like, go, push it, run harder. You can finish. You've got this. I mean, even the long distance runs, it's like they've been out in the woods running like, you know, the turtle. And then they get to the finish line and it's like, they're all of a sudden like, sprinting like they've never run before like okay you've been running so slow for the last hour and now all of a sudden you get to the finish line and it's poof, you're usain bolt all of a sudden here's what the deal is we're saying that as we're running this race of faith he's saying the closer we get to seeing the end don't ease up why because the prize the goal and what you're running for is so close to being yours it's so close to you having the prize of Jesus Christ. Our best life is out there in eternity, not right here. It's with Jesus, so run to him. Never stop running to him. It'll be hard. Every race is. And as we get closer to the end, it seems to me it doesn't get easier. It gets even harder. But Jesus ran his race so that you could run yours all the way to the end. And Jesus closes with these words. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Why? Why is he saying that? As I said, contextually, all of these things were written to a specific church, and it would have meant something very real to them. We know from history that Philadelphia had a lot of earthquakes. Earthquakes. It was on a geological fault line. In AD 17, it was destroyed completely by a severe earthquake, which also destroyed Sardis, another one of the cities that we've talked about, and two other cities around the area. And then the city was rebuilt, but some of the citizens refused to move back into the city because they were so fearful of another earthquake coming again. So they stayed on the countryside. They stayed outside the city. For those who did move back to the city, every time there was the slightest tremor, they would run out and flee from the city. They were so fearful of an earthquake that they lived afraid. They weren't secure. There was no safety. So they would go in and out at the slightest tremor. They obviously did not have a great sense of security. So when Jesus says, you'll not go out from here anymore, There's a promise of eternal security that must have come as such a relief to the people that lived in insecurity, running in and out of the city at the slightest tremor. Philadelphia was constantly threatened with earthquakes, so they were used to this constant feeling of insecurity, probably having to go out from their home at any given point. And the only parts of the city that would usually be left standing after a severe earthquake were these huge stone columns in the temple, pillars, because they were stable. They were secure. So in this context, Jesus is promising to this set of believers that they were going to be pillars in his kingdom. It's such a secure fashion that nothing could ever shake them again. Nothing could ever force them to flee from their home again. They are safe with him. They are secure with him for eternity in heaven. They don't need to fear having to leave or run away anymore. Your future in Christ is incredibly secure, solid, with nothing to fear. You may be marginalized here, you may be ostracized here, you may be persecuted here, but you're going to be a pillar in the kingdom of God. It reminds me of what Hebrews 12 says, is that there's going to tie, time coming when all the earth will shake and only the unshakable things will remain. And that's what Jesus is saying. You're going to be that unshakable thing in my kingdom. And next, Jesus says, I'll write on them the name of my God. This just describes ownership. We're going to be marked as God's people renamed for his glory i remember growing up my dad would take a sharpie and write in just about every article of clothing or glove or hat that i had with a sharpie so everybody would know it was mine if i lost it but it was annoying too it's like i've got sharpies all in my clothes right and that was a levi's levi's jacket the, the, the you know the levi's jacket that had a little levi's patch in the jacket, Brent. Gerard 706 or whatever it was, you know. But this is what Jesus is doing. He's like, mine. Mine. Everybody's gonna know. It's a sharpie, it's permanent. You're mine. And then he says, In the name of the city of my God, it's New Jerusalem, which is coming down out from out of heaven from God. You know what? This is like this is your passport. United States whatever it is it's like no no this is a new city this isn't your home like this new document if you will is going to say new Jerusalem that's your home I'm going to write that on there too this is home this is her home we're going to have permanent citizenship in this kingdom and this kingdom's not going to be that far off it's going to feel like home because it will be home actually more home than this is earth's going to be recreated made into a new heaven and a new earth but it's not going to feel like a foreign country we're going to be more fully home there than we are even now and then he says i'm also going to write on them a new name a new name in the bible means it means a new status a new function and what is this new name and we're not really sure but whatever it is it's a name above every name The name before whom everyone is going to bow, it's the name of Jesus, the Redeemer, the Savior, the Lamb of God, the One who was slain, the Lion of Judah, the Christ, the True One, the Holy One, the Omnipotent One, the Beginning and the End, the Bright Morning Star, star, God Himself. And maybe there's another name so glorious that we won't know it until we reach heaven. But whatever that name is, it's going to be written on us, marking us as His enduring people, claimed by Him for all eternity. We belong to Him. so what can we take from this letter? We could take the assurance that the people we desperately want to be, the God who we desperately want to please, and the place where we desperately want to live, is coming. And for those whom he's opened the door of salvation, no matter what you go through in this life, no matter how weak or small you may feel even today, nobody take you out of his hands nobody can shut that door that he opened and nobody can open a door that he shut nobody can remove the name that he's written on you that you belong to him in heaven forever with a new function and a new name to serve and to love him forever so here's what i say to you church He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, that the word of Jesus is our promise. All we have to do is to hold on to the word of Jesus. What do I mean when I say hold on? I mean read, I mean study, I mean meditate on, I mean apply, I mean live by, trust in the enduring word of God. That's how we run the race of faith, and then we can rest in his unchanging, never failing word. Amen we may look weak at times we may be small at times but our god is all-powerful and he holds the keys and he's opened doors that nobody else can open and he'll shut doors that nobody else can shut and his word is faithful and true that's who he is we can trust him today so let's put our hope in the hope of glory in jesus christ let's pray heavenly father i thank you today for your word that is enduring with every head bowed and every eye closed i just want to ask you today in your life even now whatever you might be suffering through it could be physical it could be emotional it could be relational it could be financial i don't know there's all kinds of things that we deal with but i wonder and i want you to ask are you trusting in jesus and his word are you trusting in the one who has you, who's with you, who never leaves you, who never forsakes you? Are you spending time in His Word, as I said, holding on to it and enduring to the end as you persevere through His Word? Today, you could just make that commitment to Jesus. Say, Lord, by Your grace, Holy Spirit, I want to be one who is immersed in, living by, trusting in Your Word. And we don't do that by not spending time in it. that starts even in this moment as we go through his word. It starts this afternoon. It starts tomorrow morning. Our time in his word. And maybe you don't know Jesus as Savior and Lord. And today could be a day that he opens up your eyes and your ears and your heart to an open door to salvation. A door that nobody else can open, that only can come through him, that Jesus draws you to himself, and you would accept him as your Savior and Lord, confessing that as a sinner you need a Savior, giving your life to Jesus to live for him wholeheartedly, and now from this point forward, your life can be on the solid foundation of the word of God. If that's you today, we want to know, we want to pray with you, but God, would you help strengthen us? No matter... Whether we feel weak or strong, whatever it is, God, we know that in our weakness, you are strong. And today, as your church, we want to do all that you have called us to do for your glory and our good. Let's stand to our feet, church. Let's worship Jesus together.
0: Thank you for listening to the In Focus Church podcast with Pastor Brent Gerard. In Focus Church is a multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Evans, Georgia, with a mission to love God, love people. And reach the world. Be sure to like, subscribe, and leave a rating wherever you are listening, and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Infocus Church.